where he's falsely accused, where he is unjustly thrown into prison, and when all seems hopeless by God's providence, suddenly he is made prime minister of Egypt. It is the desperateness of the situation that he found himself in that most clearly demonstrates the power of God in that situation. As Joseph himself says to his brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Then after some 400 years or so, uh, when God determined to bring his people out of Egypt and back to the promised land to redeem them from the land of slavery and to gather them to himself to be their God and to dwell in their midst, he does so through mighty signs and wonders so that Pharaoh and all others would see and would know that Yahweh is God. After the devastating plagues are unleashed and through them his people are finally let out, God then leads them into what appears to be a dead end uh, with the Red Sea ahead of them and Pharaoh's army bearing down behind them. And so again, God's might is displayed as he parts the sea and through the sea, saves his people. Later in Israel's history, it is only after Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, has lost everything, her husband, her sons, hope, that God transforms her bitter life into a blessing for all nations. As through her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the messianic line would continue. Only after he is surrounded by the mighty Assyrian army, God rescues Hezekiah in a single night, bringing victory and protection. And only after they're thrown into the furnace that is heated so hot that the soldiers who bound them uh, were burned up in it. It's only then that God uh, led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the flames to humble the fury of the king and to cause him to honor the Lord and to promote the faithful Hebrew young men who he had previously sought to destroy. And only after God's holy son is convicted in a corrupt court and flogged and stripped, beaten and crucified, that the cross of shame and of curse becomes the instrument of our blessing and of our salvation. God loves to work this way, and we see Him doing it so many times through the Scriptures. When everything seems hopeless, providentially and sometimes miraculously, turning events 
for the fulfillment of his purposes and the glory of his name. We see God's glory powerfully displayed in his saving acts. More glory in bringing blessing through redemption and out of suffering than in creating that blessing to begin with. Which is why suffering can be such witness to the power and to the glory of God. But that being true, it nevertheless still is suffering. Um, Knowing that God will work through it doesn't um, eliminate or alleviate the reality that that God's people uh, endure real difficulty, real suffering. Joseph suffered in slavery and in prison for years before God's purpose was revealed. Naomi lost her husband and her two sons and in this life, this side of heaven, she never knew what God was ultimately up to through that. Uh, Even though Jesus endured the cross, as it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, it was still suffering beyond what we can understand that he endured for us. Uh, To him it was it involved a sorrow overwhelming to the point of death um, and the unspeakable uh, sense for him of having lost fellowship with his heavenly father uh, as he suffered and bore our sins even on the cross. God powerfully reveals his glory in redemption, uh, as we say, even more so than in creation, and yet redemption begins in suffering and in weakness and in need. So the question is then, what is our part in all of this? We see something of what God does to bring blessing out of it and uh, to witness to himself, to demonstrate his power and that he is Yahweh, that he is the Lord. But what is is our part? Um, So that's what we'll consider for the remainder of our time, uh, if you will, look at Philippians chapter 2, Uh, 14 to 16 says do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. <clears throat> now back in the previous chapter, chapter 1 and verse 29 to 30, Paul had reminded the Philippians that God had granted to them to suffer 
for the sake of Christ. As we spoke of a number of classes ago, that, that suffering in this respect is a gift um, to the people of God, to the Philippians in this case. It was granted to them to suffer for the sake of Christ, even as it had been granted to them to believe in Christ. And because of this, they were facing conflict and opposition <clears throat> from the world for the, for the name of Christ. But uh, then he tells them here, in the midst of suffering and opposition, they are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. That uh, they may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So even in enduring unjust suffering, even enduring persecution for the name of Christ, because this is a crooked and twisted generation who does not honor God and serve God. Um, even in the midst of that, they're to endure that without grumbling, without complaining, um, so that they may stand out, that they may uh, shine as lights uh, in the world. As Christians, we are to endure suffering and opposition in a way that is free from discontent and disputing, free from fault-finding, um, and those other responses that are so prevalent in this twisted world. But living by the Word of God and letting its light shine through us, our lives should stand out then as distinctly as the stars in the night sky. And this is done only by God's Spirit and by God's power. <clears throat> now, as we've said in previous classes, um, this obviously can be extremely difficult. It's against all our natural inclinations. <clears throat> and uh, as I said, it's not even possible, apart from the working of God's Spirit, working in us to strengthen our faith in and through that suffering that we endure. Suffering is a struggle for faith because it makes us want to question God in the midst of it, want to question God's claim to be good, uh, or question His power or ability uh, to work for us and protect us and save us from such things. Uh, and so, yeah, it is, it's a struggle for faith. But... The goal of the Christian isn't simply to survive suffering. It's not simply to get through this trial to the other side, to a, a, a time of more ease and peace. Um, but it is to respond to the suffering and to conduct ourselves in the midst of it in such a way as we point to the excellence of the very God who has led us into those circumstances of suffering. <clears throat> In previous classes, we have tried to lay the foundation uh, for us to trust God such that we are content with His will even in the midst of our suffering. But how can we now live through suffering in a way that is witness, that, that, that a way that points to Him uh, that others can recognize. 
something of his goodness and grace and power and wisdom. We'll spend the, uh, the rest of the class answering a couple of basic questions in this regard. First, how does suffering work for the proclamation <clears throat> of the power of the gospel? And second, <clears throat> with that in mind, how can we conduct ourselves in suffering so as to point to Christ? <clears throat> so, how does suffering work for the proclamation of the gospel? In fact, let me, let me just throw that question out and um, maybe get some responses. How, how do you see that suffering can work for the proclamation of the gospel? Okay, well, you came to the right class, I guess. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, uh, Jeremy. I think once that, uh, um, <clears throat> suffering as a way of uh, bringing our eyes inward, as opposed to keeping, as opposed to when things are going well and being distracted by the thing, the sense of control that we have over our world. We can, in those times, we're we're very focused down here, but suffering can remind us of the Lord and, and that He's there and He controls all things and lift our eyes heavenward and thus change our perspective and make us uh, probably more gospel-minded than we might be when things are going well and you know, we don't need to remind ourselves of the Lord that as much. And we don't think we do, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I think when things are going well um, and there's evidence of blessings around us, it can be easy to be focused on those blessings per se and not as focused on the one who, who gives us all things. Um, and uh, suffering does have a way of taking our eyes off of temporal and, and physically present blessings to, to look to God who um, does give us all things um, and who is desirous that our hearts and our minds be fixed on him. So that's, that's helpful. Mark, did you have... Yeah, that's good, and we'll talk about some of that. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that, that answer. Lawrence? Thank you. 
yeah, no, that's that's good. That's and of course, yeah, Christine has been a tremendous example of that. Just um, one enduring, extended trial, extended suffering, and extended battle, but who's really maintained um, a, a tremendously strong faith um, and has uh, really sought to encourage each other, you know, others through um, that struggle. And uh, it really is encouraging to hear when, when saints are enduring um, a difficult time to hear how they're keeping their eyes fixed upon Christ and how he is strengthening, strengthening them in the midst of it. Um, and uh, we need to hear that because that helps prepare us our, ourselves even as we uh, will face various kinds of trials. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, those are, those are helpful responses. Um, so we're going to look at several things uh, in answer to this, this question of how suffering can work for the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, and the first is by changing our circumstances. Um, and here we'll consider how God used suffering and persecution in the early years of the Christian church to affect the broader proclamation of the gospel. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples that after the Holy Spirit is poured out, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But um, though we told them that just before his ascension and um, then even after Pentecost and the Spirit came, you know, what did they do? They, they didn't go out initially into... Uh, all the world, but after that initial ingathering at uh, Pentecost on that day, um, they stayed there in Jerusalem. And for several years, it seems, uh, there was no concerted effort by the church to carry out the Lord's commission to take the gospel to the world. And it isn't until Acts 8.1, after the stoning of Stephen, that we read, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. When the church suffered this persecution, the lives of believers were completely disrupted. People were displaced from their homes and driven out of the city and the region um, that had long been uh, for, for some and for others that had become their home. Um, so there's, you can imagine, just tremendous difficulty and hardship and suffering with that. Um, but uh, what does it say that they went? Um, it says that they went throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria exactly where Jesus told them uh, that they would go. And what did they do wherever they went? Well, down in verse 4, chapter 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
And so, um, not only that, but they also went beyond the regions of Judea and Samaria. In Acts 11.19 it says, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But then in verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so what Jesus had said they would do when the Holy Spirit came on them, as he said in Acts 1.8, that they would go to Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see that finally happening in stages because of the persecution and the suffering that came upon the church. <clears throat> so the gospel spread and it bore great fruit through that process. So we see in this one way that suffering can be ordained by God to work for the proclamation of the gospel. <clears throat> Another way is by making others bold as they witness uh, people in suffering maintaining a faithful and bold stance for the gospel. So look, if you will, in Philippians 1.14. In fact, that should be on your handout. Um, <clears throat> this is what uh, Paul writes there. <clears throat> Paul, who was suffering in prison for the gospel. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, because of Paul's sufferings, others spoke more courageously and more boldly, more fearlessly. <clears throat> when we see the example of someone suffering and yet in the midst of that suffering, striving by God's power to make God's faithfulness known, it can have a profound effect upon those of us who may not be suffering in the same way or to the same extent, um, but who nevertheless um, need to be emboldened to a greater faithfulness in, in the proclamation of the gospel. And so we see that happening here uh, with regard to Paul and his imprisonment and the brothers who were emboldened because of that suffering. So that despite what risk may be involved, people were more bold and more courageous to stand, step out in proclaiming the gospel. Um, third, suffering highlights the hope of the gospel. And um, in 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15, if, if you'll turn there, <clears throat> Um, it 
says here, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So he says, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Peter implies here that uh, a life of suffering, um, if lived faithfully, will be uh, a life that stands out from the world because it doesn't have the fears that the world has or the anxieties that the world has. <clears throat> that it doesn't have the loves and the priorities of the world. Um, and so it will then catch the notice of others and provoke questions as to how that person who's, who's suffering and yet knowing the blessing in it and rejoicing in God through it, how it is that they can endure with such joy and with such hope. Um, and this is a great opportunity for turning suffering to work for the proclamation of the gospel if we're ready to be prepared to answer those who ask, what is the reason for the hope that you have? <clears throat> and then fourth, suffering faithfully displays the value of knowing Christ. And if you look at Philippians 3.8, Here Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. So God isn't... Uh, glorified in us when we choose Him for His gifts, for what He can offer, per se. But God is glorified when we choose Him and cling to Him <clears throat> as what is truly valuable and uh, what is more desirous to us than anything else. When we lose what this world values and yet don't lose heart and we don't lose hope. It tells others that we have taken hold of something that is more valuable than anything that the world can offer. And as such, it commends the gospel to them. So we see these ways that suffering can work for the proclamation of the gospel. Um, but, but what is our role? How do we... Um, more faithfully respond in the midst of such times. How can <clears throat> we help work toward this uh, proclamation of the gospel, this, this faithful witness in the midst of our own suffering? 
And most fundamentally, it is by doing what we've been talking about in this class. It is um, to, by fighting for faith with God's word. It is through grounding our hope in the gospel. It is uh, by sharing our burdens uh, with others in the church um, and, and some of the other things we've spoken of in the class. But um, So if you suffer in faith, uh, you will commend the gospel to others. But beyond these things, there are a few other specifics uh, that we can talk about. And these fall into three categories. And they are who we should talk to when we're suffering, what we should talk about, <clears throat> and how we should live. So first, uh, who should we talk to? In the last few classes, the focus has been on talking with other Christians in times of suffering. Um, but if you speak as well, not just to brothers and sisters who can encourage you in the Word, but speak openly to non-Christian family and friends who care about you. Um, and if you share your suffering in a faithful way, then they can see how God sustains you and how He grants joy even in the midst of sorrow and suffering, as we've talked about. Um, your non-Christian friends won't share much of your perspective on those things, but that's why your response to suffering and your hope in God uh, properly communicated can be such a profound impact on those who don't have the hope that we have. So um, what to talk about? Well, talk about your sufferings. Talk about your struggles. Talk about it openly and honestly about where you're struggling. Um, and even with unbelieving friends, again, um, we don't need to try to put on a facade that, um, you know, the Christian life just means all is well and um, we have no difficulties. We don't need to portray some kind of stoicism um, as though Christians don't struggle. But rather, as Christians... We struggle for different objectives uh, with a different hope and with a different strength. But remember in this, the difference between describing what's going on, what the circumstances are, what, what you're enduring, um, the difference between that and complaining. Um, we are not to be those who grumble and complain uh, so we need to keep that in mind. We can be honest about the difficulty of, of our struggle and, our, dif and our, our trial and our suffering without being uh, a grumbler, as we saw in Philippians. Not complaining is perhaps one of the most powerful witnesses to the truth of the gospel in the midst of our suffering. The difference between describing my struggle and complaining is the difference of heart attitude. Describing my struggle is done in the context of my faith and in light of the Word of God, even where that faith may be weak and, and, uh, and as it's being tried 
but um, nevertheless, our description of that is done with a with a look and a hope toward God who upholds, and with a recognition that He is in control and that He is wise and that He is working good. Um, complaining, on the other hand, says that I don't really believe this. Um, somehow. God's made a mistake in these circumstances I'm in, um, or he doesn't care, or he doesn't have the ability to, uh, to rescue me from them or bring about a change. So the way we describe it makes a big difference. Describing suffering as the psalmists do um, in many, many psalms of lamentation, a pouring out of the reality of what um, is being experienced, what is being felt, what is being perceived, um, is is done in the context of faith, nonetheless. Um, and you see that as as psalms of lamentation turn to psalms of praise and trust and rest in God. So to to suffer and describe our suffering in this way um, is is the way that will bring honor to God and will bear fruit. And um, then also make sure, in the question of what do we talk about, make sure you talk about the gospel. Um, as Peter said, be prepared to do so. Um, and that's a question to, to ask yourself. Can you uh, comfortably and with conviction confidently explain the gospel to someone who isn't a Christian, who isn't familiar with the Christian faith or the scriptures. Um, again, Peter says we should be prepared to uh, give a reason for the hope that we have. And um, if, if you feel like you lack that confidence, um, then talk to somebody who can help you. Um, there's many resources to help you in a clear and concise way to convey the truths of the gospel um, and be able to share that as the need and as the opportunity arises. So then thirdly, <clears throat> we talked about um, who to talk about, what to talk about, now how to live. And if you will, turn to First Peter <clears throat> In First uh, Peter, we see several things that pertain specifically to living in a way that commends the gospel. In chapter 1, Peter writes about the present blessings and the future hope of those who have been born again through the gospel. And he also addresses the reality and the purpose of suffering in the pilgrimage of the Christian life. Then over in chapter 2, in verse 12, he writes this, 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter highlights the response that living godly, faithful lives, even in suffering, will receive from those who observe them. Um, He says that they will see their good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The first thing Peter addresses after this um, is treated pretty extensively in in his letter, um, but it might not be what you'd expect. Look at the first phrase of verse 13. It says, Be subject. Um, So when he's talking about the conduct and how we live among the Gentiles in an honorable way, even in times of suffering, he then turns and he says, be subject to the governing authorities. Um, In verse 18, he says, be subject, speaking of slaves, to masters. In chapter 3, in verse 1, speaking to wives, <clears throat> excuse me, says, be subject to your husband. In 5.5, 5, to young men, he says, be subject to the elders. So Peter indicates that we commend the gospel while suffering as we respect the authorities that God has placed over us. So why is that? Um, Though authorities over us can be a source of suffering, um, authority is not a bad thing. It is good. It is ordained by God. And ultimately, all authority is God's. And He will bring everyone to account. If we suffer under authority, the question is, can we trust God to exercise His authority justly and to to vindicate those who suffer innocently? And that, that question should always be before us. Can we trust God to uh, exercise His authority justly and to vindicate those who suffer innocently. Will we submit to the ordained authorities out of trust and reverence for God, even if we might work in the midst of it, if it's unjust indeed, um, to uh, work through appropriate means to try to alleviate suffering, which is entirely uh, justifiable, but um, as we're doing that, or if that alleviation doesn't come, are we able to trust God and uh, have reverence for Him in the midst of it? If our lives reflect this kind of trust and submission, again, people will notice. People will recognize that we live for a higher purpose that we submit to a higher authority 
and that we trust that he will bring about uh, a righteous and just judgment ultimately. And that brings us to another command from Peter for those who are suffering, and that's in chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. There we're told that we are to follow Jesus' example in suffering. And uh, as he did, we are to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. He endured all kinds of opposition from sinful men. Nobody was ever treated more unjustly um, because he never deserved any mistreatment at all. And he did so at the hands of, um, of people who abused their authority and yet he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Our trust isn't finally in earthly authorities, especially when they fail to protect us from injustice. Our trust is in the righteous judge. We submit to earthly authorities because we entrust ourselves to God. Yes, Norm? Different in different circumstances. <laughs> um, it, w- it would mean one, recognizing God's authority, ultimately His sovereignty in the situation. It would um, involve prayerful dependence upon Him, um, perhaps to certainly um, alleviate the situation. I'm speaking generally because I don't have a particular in mind um, to give us strength. To bear up in the in the midst of it, um, to turn the heart of some if it is indeed unjust, to turn the heart of somebody to do good, that person in that position, um, that the circumstances would provide an opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel. So it's 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 entrusting ourselves to him um, to exercise his. Sovereign, providential authority. Um, And yes, we can make, again, proper use of means to redress things as as those are provided. Um, Perhaps at work, uh, your your boss is treating you improperly and poorly and um, it's becoming unbearable. You've endured for a time. There's a proper way that within the uh, organization you can... Seek, to seek redress from that, but, but you um, nevertheless trust God for the outcome no matter what. Um, and uh, if things don't turn for the better and you lose your job or whatever the case may be, um, that he is still leading and guiding and providing. Um, so again, it would look different in, in different circumstances, but, um, but ultimately it's not looking to that source of your suffering as ultimate, but looking beyond that to God who, who has designed it for you and you for it for that time for your growth ultimately. Does that help? Okay. So if we um, don't entrust ourselves to God, <clears throat> we act during suffering as those who are fearful or bitter or anxious or vindictive. 
But when we do entrust ourselves to God, it produces a life that is very different from the world. And then third, in uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we are to suffer with a clear conscience. Um, And that's a theme that Peter hits on several times in this book. When you're suffering, it's tempting to find or to try to find an easy way out, to grow tired, to quit trying, to give up, to compromise, um, anything to alleviate the discomfort that the suffering brings. So we need to be extra careful to ensure that our conduct is above reproach, that we are being careful to do what's right in the sight of God in the midst of it, even if we can't see clearly what he's doing in the midst of it, which is ultimately for our good. And um, so that, uh, as the end of verse 16 says, so that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Um, And again, it is the notice of the world And though their valuations and judgments are flawed and corrupt, um, they will nevertheless sit up and take notice and and know that something's different. Um, So, in conclusion, um, we need to keep in mind that whatever suffering we endure, we do so under God's own hand and we can trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's working for our good in and through us. Also in the midst of it, he's working that we might be a light to others, that they might see his good works in our good works and glorify him in order that uh, he may work for their good as well through us. With that, we've got a few minutes if there are any questions. No. Okay. Well, we will. Yes, Norm. Yes, fantastic um, verse to to meditate on. Um, it is into His hands that we are entrusting ourselves, and. Um, Of course, Jesus quoting that on the cross at the end of his suffering um, had full confidence um, that uh, that the purposes of his suffering would bear the fruit that uh, that was intended through it. So um, he could be satisfied even in that suffering as he prayed, entrusting himself to the Father's hands. Yeah. That's good. Anything else? Okay. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you not only have shown your grace to us in granting that we believe in Christ and in him have salvation, deliverance, from our sin, from its penalty, from its power, one day from 
its presence entirely. But we thank you, Lord, that you have granted in Christ also that we suffer for him who suffered for us. His suffering for us was redemptive that we might belong to you. Father, we pray that our suffering uh, would be reflective of his in that uh, we would be entrusting ourselves to you in the midst of it. Lord, that you would work your purposes of sanctification through our suffering, strengthening our faith, causing us to look to you, deepening our affections for you. And Lord, also that in some manner our suffering would be revelatory to others in as much as it shows them your glory and your goodness and your value and your worth as you help us to faithfully endure in the midst of of hardship and suffering so that they would see again your good work through our good works that you work through us and that they might glorify you Father, as we prepare now to gather with the rest of the saints for our service of worship lord we pray that you would be with us in power and uh, lord that you would be pleased through your word and uh, through all that we do together uh, to make your presence known and uh, that you would work among your people to the end that our love for you would deepen our love for one another as well would be deepened and lord that you would be glorified we pray in christ's name amen